Thank you, Alex. Good morning, everyone. I'm Mike Shera. I'm the pastor here at Grace. And this past week, our pastoral staff and I went to an annual conference called the Shepherds Conference. We go every year. It's at Grace Community Church and Master Seminary in Sun Valley. But this year was a historic event. They added a day, and that wasn't the big deal. The big deal was that it was a summit on biblical inerrancy. The whole week was about how the Bible really, really, really is true, and that every word of the Bible is true. It is inspired of God. It is inerrant and infallible. And that's a truth that for ages has routinely been dismissed and denied, and never more so than today. It was very important. And 5,000 pastors came from around the globe. It was, it was packed to overflowing because many of us, we, we didn't want to miss it because we hold to inerrancy. But one of the pastors who came from around the globe is Newton Chilingulo. And Newton is a friend of mine. And as soon as I found out that Newton was coming, I, uh, I got my elbows on the table and said, he's preaching at Grace on March 8th. And so... Newton, I met him a couple years ago when we were in South Africa, and I invited him to come and preach because Newton loves Jesus, and he loves the Word of God, and he loves to preach the Word of God. I had the privilege of hearing him preach twice while I was there, and want you to hear him as well. But it's not about Newton. I know that God uses people to convey his, his Word but it is about the Word of God, and he's going to come in just a moment. Let me say a few things about him. He was born in Malawi, but he spent most of his life in South Africa. He is 33 years old, so he's a very young man, and he was saved at age 24. He was called to ministry. He was uh, a student at Christ Seminary in Pulakwani, South Africa. He was a pastor at Living Hope Church along with Josh Mack, who discipled him. Since September of last year, he and his wife, Vanessa, and their three-year-old daughter, Chisomo, which means grace, have been back home in Malawi. So they, they've gone back home to plant a church. And so, Newton, come on up. Please welcome Newton Chilingulo. Good morning, church. Last session I struggled because I was told you bring your watches to church. Where I come from, we bring calendars. <laughs> Just to make sure we're still on the same day. Will you please uh, stand as we read God's word? Please turn to Mark chapter 8. The book of Mark chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 34 to verse 38. I'll be reading from the ESV. Mark chapter 8 from verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May the Lord bless his word. Amen. You may be seated. Ikaka las kikakika ekikeni la kauka ukokoko. Wants to help us translate that. <laughs> that is one of the languages in uh, South Africa, the Kosa language. And that simply means the skunk. The skunk is a bird. The skunk rolled and broke its windpipe. That is considered one of the, one of the most hard sayings in the world. You can actually Google that. But during the course of his ministry, Jesus came also with many hard sayings. Not necessarily hard to say like the one that I've just uh, brought. Not necessarily hard to say, but hard to accept. Not hard to understand, but hard to live out. And one that stands out is in Mark chapter 8. This is when Jesus asked his disciples, who am I? At this point of his ministry, he sees the need to disclose his identity. Then he's asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And after that, he's asking his disciples, let's forget about what people say I am. Who do you say I am? And Peter as a spokesperson says, you are the Christ. What does that mean? Peter affirmed that he and the disciples believed Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, God in human flesh. Now Jesus Christ sees the, time, seizes the opportunity to explain Messiahship. He says, the way of me as a Messiah is of suffering, rejection, and ultimately, death. Remember what Peter just said, right? You are the Christ. But when he heard the way of the Messiah is that of suffering, rejection, and death, he proves the Messiah. He proves God, as, uh, God in human flesh and rebukes him. If that meant anything, Peter just affirmed that Jesus Christ is his Lord. But he rebukes him. But before we throw stones at Peter, let us pause and ask ourselves this question. What would have been your response if you were, if you were oppressed? These people were waiting a deliverance from the oppression from Rome. Now, the man they know as a Messiah has a game plan of coming to suffer, to be rejected, and dying. A dying Messiah. Is this a joke or what? The problem was not their understanding of the words. The problem was that suffering did not fit 
into their ideas of what the Messiah should do. None of this is surprising. The disciples were simply men of their day. But of course, Jesus Christ didn't take this lightly. He pulled Peter aside and strongly rebuked him, said, get behind me, Satan. And this morning, I want to bring to our attention what Jesus Christ now focused on. After he had told them the way of the Messiah, he shifted his focus from himself, that is from Messiahship, to his disciples' discipleship. He's saying, now that that is out, now that the way of me as your Messiah is that of suffering, rejection, and ultimately death, while we're at this difficult subject, let me make clear the implication for you and the implication for you and I today. He's saying, I've got two cautions, two warnings. The first one, you can't follow me, except you do so on the right path. And the second one is, you won't follow me unless you do so with the right perspective. So let's look at first, the first part. You can't follow me except on the right path. Notice first that Jesus himself says the conditions of following him. The followers are not to determine the path. The one who issues the call says the terms by which those who follow him need to comply with. These terms are non-negotiable. They must be met by all who will follow Christ. And for those outside the kingdom, this lays the foundations of true saving faith. This is the essence of repenting of sin and believing upon Jesus Christ. And for those of you who have already begun following Jesus Christ, this is the foundation of your sanctification, of how things should be on a daily basis. Friends, this is the heart of discipleship, the essence of being a true Christian. So what's the right path? It is first a path of self-denial. Self-denial. To deny yourself is a decisive choice. It is a defining act. The word here, deny, means to disavow any connection with something. To state that you by no means connected in any way with whatever is in view. This is the very same word that was used in chapter 14 of our book, Verses 66 to 72. Jesus Christ had been arrested. And all his disciples, how many were left with him when he was arrested? They all deserted him. But a slave girl saw Peter warming himself. And she said, I know this man. He was with Jesus Christ. And Peter's response was, eh, 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 eh. 
I don't even know the man. That is how he denied Jesus Christ. He denied that he had any connection with Jesus. He even said, I don't even know the man. And he affirmed that with oaths and curses. This is exactly the word Jesus chooses when he tells us that if we're going to come after him, we must first deny ourselves. But now, notice who Jesus said you must deny. You must deny yourself. This is the most difficult disavows. It is easy to distance yourself with somebody or something. But with yourself? So what does this mean? It means self must no longer be our self-love. Self must no longer be our supreme interest. It is to come after Christ. Then you must deny and denounce all self-rights, all self-esteem, all self-focus, all self-control. In other words, you must come to the end of yourself where there must be a death and burial of self to a point whereby you cannot be recognized. You know why? Because you have, to an extent, died. And you have now risen. There's now a new person. This person now is in an all or nothing pursuit of Christ. You are no longer what you used to be. Friends, the point is clear. You cannot come to Christ and remain the same. If you are as you have always been, I encourage you to examine your heart for you may not be a Christian. Dying self means giving up right to run your own life. We are to deny that we own ourselves. You are not the captain of your ship. Thankfully, none of us has a ship. He's not talking about giving up this or that, but about giving up ourselves. Jesus is more interested of who you are than what you do. Implied in this is a confession. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I cannot serve myself. There is no inherent goodness. There is no intrinsic merit that I will cling to to commend myself to God for him to accept me. There's nothing I can offer God. What is God's demand of us? God's demand that we have a perfect righteousness. But none of us have that. So this is the first step of discipleship. It's not simply adding Jesus Christ to whatever is already going on in your life. It is not inviting Jesus Christ so that he takes the back seat of your life and you're clinging to the steering wheel of your life. Simply put, Jesus Christ will not join anyone. Jesus Christ will not follow you nor follow me. This is the first step. And this is in a present continuous tense. This is not a once-off act. As we come to Christ 
and then we forget about it. We do our own thing. No, this should characterize our lives. Like our lives should be characterized by denying ourselves day in and day out. But the thing is this, when we have denied ourselves, self still rises up. Self always has its own agenda, its own will, its own ways that run contrary to the will of God. And Jesus Christ is calling us, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself. Denying yourself is the opposite of pleasing yourself. Jesus basically says, if you want to follow me, but you have any other agenda that is more important immediately than me, you can't be my disciple. In fact, the concept of discipleship is simply this. You dedicate the rest of your life to be like your master. You smell like your master. If I were to ask you, would you say you smell like Christ? If I were to come close to you, will your heart, your life be characterized by Christ? Christ was a man of one vision. Would you say you are a man of one vision? A woman of one vision. That is to what? Exhort God on a daily basis. Self-denial is disowning the self-life and its interests and wants. Friends, this self-denial comes... Denying self is not, is not natural to all of us. One man says this, where God's interest is strongest, there self-denial is sincere. What are you living for? What is your mind primarily set upon? Is it the pleasing of God or is it the pleasing of your fleshly appetites? For that is your God that which you love most. The truth of the matter is that which you love most, we have time for. You know, part of self-denial, part of self-denial is a willingness to spend time communion of God alone in our private space, studying the word of God, praying for our lives, praying for the rest of the brethren in the church and all over the globe. This denies that self must be out of the way. I struggle with this. The time I want to be with the Lord, there's many other things that are calling for my attention. But you know what? That caused me to deny myself and be able to say, I want to be with my Lord. And I'm not talking about coming to a place where you just read your Bible and you take it is done. No, I'm talking about coming and delighting in the person of Jesus Christ. For that is your God that you please best and you do most for. Friends, do you most prize Christ and holiness? If you're self-denied, you will ordinarily be ruled by God, by his word and his spirit, and not by your carnal self. Whose word prevails in your life? Whose word? Is it yours or God's? The answer to that proves whether you are genuinely 
self-denied or not. There's nothing dear, Baxter says, there's nothing dear to a gracious soul that he will not give away for the love of God and for the hope of everlasting life. So those who wish to follow Christ must be prepared to say no to self, no to pride, no to impatience, no to all these things that are contrary to the will of God. Remember we said he sets the terms you and I are to follow. We need to be able to say through the cross, we need to be able to mean it, through the cross I'm crucified to self. Why? Because he, Christ, died, died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was raised. Do you believe Christ died for you? If he did, are you saying that you cannot dedicate the rest of your lives to following him the way he wants to be followed? That's the first step of following Christ. Christ said, if you have got any serious intentions, you can't follow me unless on the right path. There's a path of self-denial. So this first path is actually strengthened by the next path with his clear death image. So what is the next path? It was a path of cross-bearing. Look again, verse 34. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up what? His cross. You know when Jesus Christ mentioned his cross, the people who had him in their minds was not these people put on. You know some people they wear these things on their, on their necks. That's not what people uh, had on that day. Neither did people hear what we associate a cross to. A cross, it is associated with now putting up with an inconvenience. The child that wakes me up two in the morning is an inconvenience that I must have to bear. A, f- a common story is even told, I'm sure most of you know it, of a man who left home very fired up, very encouraged, very excited. He went home to his wife. He found the wife washing dishes, and he lifted up the wife, and the wife was wondering, hey, my husband, what is happening? Why are you so romantic today? And the man said, the pastor still must carry our cross. But that's not what the word means. As Jesus spoke these words, what came to mind was something very serious. Friends, the cross was used in the Roman practice of crucifixion. It was the most barbaric form of capital punishment known to men in that day. It was a symbol of painful torture and a gruesome death that awaited those who dared to raise a hand against the Roman authority. It was reserved for Rome's worst enemies. These were rebels. These were terrorists. In fact, it was so offensive and so violent that by law, no Roman citizen could carry a cross and be crucified because it was considered to be so inhuman. To take up one's cross was to assume a shameful position of a condemned criminal who was found guilty of serious offense. To take up one's cross meant to undertake and begin the dreaded death march from the judgment seat where the judgment was turned down and that you have been found guilty 
and you have agreed that you've been guilty. Then you begin the process of carrying the cross to the site of your execution. The entire town will come. It will be a public spectacle. The people will be both sides in all the streets. And to carry one's cross, it was intended to be a public statement that I've been tried, that I've been found guilty, and now under submission to a higher authority of Rome. I have rebelled against Caesar, and I agree with the verdict, and now I carry my cross publicly to the site of execution. At this point, there was no reversal. You couldn't appeal to the Supreme Court or to a higher court. This was intended to instill fear in people so that nobody would dare to raise a hand against Caesar to unseat him. The Jewish leaders didn't have the authority to carry out such a horrific death. It lay with Caesar alone as delegated to Herod alone. And it was a sign that intended to communicate the supreme power that Rome had both on life and of death upon anyone in the land. Friends, it was a dreaded sight. It was a fearful sight that mothers had to close the eyes of their children, not to look at this gruesome sight. The person who carried the cross, it was such a gruesome sight as if the person had already died. There are no terms of describing this. There's no nice way to put this. This was the electric chair of the first century, only far more gruesome. A sentence to death had been issued. Now a public and shameful death was to be carried out. So, when Jesus said these words, it was the most hard saying he ever issued. But the question is, what did this mean? Take up your cross. It has serious implications for every one of us here today. Friends, this is far more than a word study. The implications are huge for every life here today. When Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, carry his cross, he meant that there must, there must, there must be a death to self. Jesus said we must agree that we have already stood before the judgment seat of God. That you have already been weighed in the balances. If you are to compare all the good you have done, that still cannot be compared to what God demands. God demands that you and I who have the perfect righteousness. You have agreed that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what are the wages of sin? It's death. But the death we're talking about here is this. We must humble ourselves and submit our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and come under the higher authority, not the authority of Rome, but under Christ's authority. And say, I have no life. They have no personal ambitions. But the life that you do give me and the path that you lead me, I will now step up and become a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And I do, as I do so, I take up my cross. 
that every criminal was assigned and handed at the judgment seat. And I take the cross and every step of the Christian life, I carry it. And as I do so, I'm denying myself. And I'm now living for the glory of God. I'm now marking myself as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what my life should be about. I don't know about you, but for most of my life, my life was all about myself. Self was king. And I thought that nobody had a right to tell me what to do. My life was all about consuming alcohol. My life was all about laying hands of whatever I wanted to. My life was all about pleasing friends, trying to be popular, trying to be the man of the match wherever I was. I was filled with so much emptiness, anger, but the Lord graciously and kindly opened my eyes to help me to see life. I was convicted of my sins and I realized I had no life at all. And it took me from where I was and helped me to understand following Christ, this is a radical decision that implies that my life should not be run the way I was running it. I must not just please self, but now my life should be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not about doing what I want. It's about doing what the master wants. This master is none other than the Jesus Christ who left his glories in heaven to come and die on the death by crucifixion. I should have died, but Jesus Christ took my place. He died as my substitute. Now he's telling me I should live any different. I have to ask one personal question. I want to ask you an individual question that no one else can answer for you. Have you, have you taken your cross in order to follow Christ? Have you recognized your own sinfulness before a holy God in heaven? Have you acknowledged the indisputable right of Christ to rule your life? Have you submitted to his lordship? Is he your king? Have you died to self? Friends, if not, you cannot get in line to follow after Christ. What was happening is that Jesus Christ had been performing miracles. He'd been feeding thousands from a few loaves, a few fish healing the sick, walking on the water, calming the storm. Now, if somebody is able to do all those things, the obvious thing is what? He will attract the crowd, right? And this is what has happened with Jesus Christ. He knew that many people were just following him because of what he was doing. Now he's saying, if you have got any intentions of following me any further than you already have, I want to caution you. You can't do that unless you're on the right path. And this path is a call to death of self. How much easier it is to stand in the crowd 
how difficult and demanding it is to stand out of the crowd and follow Jesus to Jerusalem. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. How could Paul say that? Paul knew that as he was living, he was a dead man. If there was anything Paul deserved, it was condemnation. He persecuted the church of Christ. But God graciously saved him, gave him a new heart with new desires, with new appetites. Because of that, Paul, whether he was in prison, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's writing in the book of Philippians to people outside, people who are full of freedom, people who are at ease. He's telling them, rejoice in the Lord. How do you do that? I've always wondered, how does that happen? It was the people at Philippi who were supposed to write to Paul. Please, Paul, we are praying for you. We are encouraging you. Please rejoice. No, it is Paul who is doing that. It's because, according to Paul, he was a man that was following Jesus Christ. If his call was to go to prison, Paul said, Lord, that's what you have called me to do, and I'll do just that. And I'll do so gladly. This is why Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. Where I come from, there's a lot of profession about Christ, but little possession of Christ. One of the reasons that we are considered the poorest continent, it is because there's little following of Christ in the part of the world I come from. Paul even said, I do not consider my life as dear to me. I do not consider my life as dear to me. Wow. Paul must have understood what it meant to follow Christ. Cross comes before the crown. This is what the disciples had to understand. That even you and I, we need to understand if we're going to follow Christ, as he wants to be followed. We're not going to be popular. But we are not called to a popularity contest. We are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to deny ourselves as a first path. Take up a cross and follow me. What did he mean? Whoever desires to come after me must follow me. Did he simply mean as he walks the streets of Palestine, we must just follow him? Wherever he goes, when he turns left, we turn left. When he turns right, we turn right. Is that what Christ meant? This simply means this. Whatever Jesus Christ said we are to do, we do it. In 1 John 2, 6, we are told, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. Let me ask you another question. Would you say this best characterizes your life? That you are walking as Christ has called you to walk. To follow simply means to imitate, to be like. Are you a man or a woman of one vision? That is to uplift Christ wherever you are. Yes, we are called to do different things, but as you're doing so, the heart of that is to make Christ known, to lift him up on high. 
Am I the only one who's amazed at people who say they are Christians, but then live for themselves? Have you met such people? I've always said that there's much profession of Christ, but little possession of Christ. And James Montgomery Boys said this, and this was in the 20th century, and I caught. There is a defect, even a fatal defect, in the life of the Church of Christ in the 20th century. A lack of true discipleship. For the genuine Christian, discipleship means forsaking everything to follow Christ. But for many of today's supposed Christians, perhaps the majority, it is the case that while there's much talk about Christ, even much furious activity that is supposed to be done in his name, there's actually, ready for this? There's actually little following of Christ himself. And that means in some circles at least, there's a very little genuine Christianity. Many who fervently call him Lord, Lord, are not Christians. End quote. Do you agree with him? Is that true in 2015? Has the situation improved? I believe it is becoming worse. What is the problem? We don't like this kind of teaching. Self-denial, cross-bearing, no, we don't want that. Personal rights, yes. But following Christ, death to self, the cross, we don't like those things. Yet, there's no genuine Christianity without them. Following Christ is demanding. It is not the path of the least resistance. Notice the word and. Verse 34, if anyone will come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It connects follow me and that which came before it. The three are not chronological, but logical. So I am not saying you first deny yourself, then you carry your cross, then you follow Christ. No, it is all logical. Follow Christ. We are to follow the person of Jesus Christ. Where I come from, people follow a denomination. So when they move from city to city, they'll look for the same denomination. Even if there's no preaching of the gospel message, they'll say, that is my church. But we are not to follow a church. We are to follow the person of Jesus Christ. He says, follow me. And he says, follow me. Do you know where Christ is going when he told his disciples, follow me? He's going to Jerusalem. He knows they're going to kill him. And in light of that, he says, follow me. This is not an easy road. Paved with good intentions, but soft commitments. This is a hard and demanding path that necessitates the grace of God in order to follow after him. This is why we need to get self out of the way for us to be able to be committed men and women of prayer so that indeed we can follow Christ as he wants to be followed. Again, follow me. This is a present continuous tense. This is not a one-time act in the past. It is present tense. It is ongoing. This should characterize your life and my life. It speaks of a continual following. It speaks of a lifestyle, a daily following after Christ. So if I'm to ask people in your home or people that you work with, would they be able to describe this about you? Would they be able to say, yes, this person is marked by these very things. He's denying himself, 
carrying his cross and following after Christ? Are you not disgusted by the brand of Christianity that promotes the very opposite of what Jesus is teaching here? A brand of Christianity that is not Christianity at all and teaches that I should not deny myself but indulge in whatever my appetite says their mind on as long as I exercise enough faith, whatever that is. Jesus says here, we are to go where he goes. Follow me. We are to do what he does. Follow me. We are to say what he says. Follow me. Live as I lived. Love what he loves. Hate what he hates. And this command is actually strengthened, or rather, it is fueled by the verses that come after it. So let me just rush to those uh, verses. So first we have looked at the fact that you can't follow Christ unless on the right path. Second point. You won't follow me, you won't follow me on that right path unless you have a right perspective. What is this perspective? Future starts now. Perspective. If these words are meant to do anything, it is to instill in us a perspective that steers up to a life of self-denial, cross-bearing, and following after him. How? Is that your question? I know it is. The answer is teaching that the future starts now. Why? This is the only right perspective. Why would anyone deny themselves, carry their cross, and follow him? This is why you have to deny yourself. I direct you to the word for. There are many words for, 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 for. But for the interest of time, we're just going to go here flying, flying pace. If you do not follow Christ, first reason, you will lose your life. The only way to live is to die. We're not talking about losing your life. We're talking about losing your life, not dying as a soldier at a conflict or a war, as noble as that is, or contracting of HIV as you are nursing patients. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about losing your life for the sake of Christ and the sake of the gospel. This is the greatest salvation of all. It is the salvation of your life. Lose it, and the Lord says you will preserve it. You preserve your life, the Lord says you will lose it. Reason two, why should you deny yourself? Why should you carry your cross? Why should you follow him? Reason two, brothers and sisters, cause for a self-audit. Our Lord is a master teacher and is arguing from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, let's assume you are to inherit the whole world. This is the same temptation given by Jesus, right? By the devil. Same temptation. He's saying, let's assume you are able to inherit the whole world. For the sake of argument, Jesus says, what will it profit you if you stood where Adam once stood? Or you accepted what Satan offered me. The question implies that there is no profit to such a foolish deal. This is the worst transaction ever. 
And yet, strange as it is, people in this world, even surprise, surprise, people call themselves Christians, continue to prioritize everything, and all they gain is sand. Why should I deny myself, carry the cross, and follow Christ? Verse 37, Jesus follows up with a question. For what can a man give in return for his soul? The obvious implication is you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. For you have nothing to give in exchange or to redeem your soul back. Nothing. Jesus demands that you be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Nobody has that. The only way for us to ever have this perfect righteousness is to see ourselves as God sees us. To see ourselves as sinners in need of this perfect righteousness and praise God. God sent his son to come and take our place. He died as our substitute and when we put our trust in Christ and Christ alone and believe upon his finished work on the cross on our behalf, he gives us a gift of faith, the gift to believe. Only that is what gives us life. You deny that, you forfeit your soul. And you have nothing to give. Then finally, verse 38. If you do not stand in a crowd and become a follower of Jesus Christ, if you do not turn from this world and the things of this world, he will deny you in the end. Here's a final compelling reason to follow Christ. In verse 38, to be ashamed of Christ is to deny him, to question his goodness. This again calls for self-examination. Are you indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you denying yourself? If not, Jesus will say at the end of the day, yes, you went to church. Yes, you read the Bible, but I never knew you. There's a strong word, gnosko, I never knew you. There was no intimate relationship between me and you. Jesus has explained why we must follow him. Our Lord is calling each one of us today to step out of the world, to step out of our culture, to step out of worldliness, and to leave behind the preoccupation which comes, which, which comes to us naturally. That is to all of us. Preoccupation of sin comes to us naturally. I'll close with the story of an emperor. He had massive wealth. He was living for this life. And he actually said, when I die, I want to be buried with all the gold and all the silver. And in his coffin, the opening years later, they found his finger pointing to a verse in the New Testament. And the verse was this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Jimmy Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The person who does not see the ultimate will be the slave of the immediate. May the Lord help us. May the Lord strengthen us. Amen.